Hallelujah, Jesus. I wonder if we could just lift our hands all across this building. I thank you, Jesus. Could you just lift your voice with your hands? Could you just, out of your own lips, could you begin to let him know how much you love him, how much you want him? love you, Jesus. I praise your name today, God. There's nothing else I want than you. There's nothing more important to me, God, than you. Thank you, Lord, for your presence. Thank you, Lord, for your spirit. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. In case there is any doubt in your mind today, he wants you. He wanted you so badly that he robed himself in flesh. And he came down to pay the ultimate price as a show of his love for you. He took the sins, not only of the world, but the sins of you. He took stripes upon his back so that you could experience healing in your mind and healing in your body. Let there never be a doubt or a question in our minds. There's nothing that you can do to get so far that the presence of God can't meet you. But that statement we make back, I just want you. That's what he wants. He wants reciprocation. See, there's nothing that you can do to turn off of his love for you, but it is a choice that you have to turn on your love for him. Not just love in word, but word in, in deed. What I say and also what I do. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for your presence. Thank you, Lord, for your spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you would turn with me in your Bibles, I'll direct your attention one last time to Acts chapter 13. All good things have to come to an end. And I hope you've enjoyed this series as much as I've enjoyed it. I, uh, truthfully, uh, Bishop was supposed to preach today, and uh, I think he was supposed to preach last week, and then I told him I had something, so we pushed him to this week. And, and uh, he's not mad at me. He's, uh, he's, he's overseeing uh, a church installation today, a church vote, and so he couldn't be here. But I just felt as, as I was praying that God would have me uh, talk to you one more time about this subject of being a man or a woman after God's heart. We've been investigating the life of David. If this is your first time here, we've been talking about a very specific statement that you'll find in Acts 13 and 22. Reading down halfway through the verse, the Lord is speaking to the prophet and he says, I found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. It's a statement that no one else uh, has it said of them in Scripture. Nowhere else do we see somebody being referred to as a man or a woman after God's heart. And as we have quickly realized over the course of the last seven weeks, and I've only done six weeks, but the last seven weeks we've talked about this, it really wasn't a single attribute of David's that, that qualified him to be a man after God's own heart. But it really was a sum total of, of the contents of who he was. David was a man that was consistently humble. He was a man that, that continually prayed. He was 
someone who courageously led. He completely worshiped. He completely served. And on this, this last sermon of this series, I, I think they've all been equally important, but I would raise this one closer to the top. David was a man who carefully sacrificed, carefully sacrificed. And so if you would do this, if you would set your Bibles down, and I know there's a lot going on today. I know we have world missions and and I'll invite you at the end, uh, as you come up to the altar t- today, if you feel so inclined to, to give, uh, I encourage you to do that. We're not going to have much pomp and circumstance about giving today, but I would encourage you to do it. And you've proven through the years that this is a giving church. And so thank you for that. Um, but let's just open our hearts today to what God would have. This is not always the easiest topic to talk about sacrifice, um, but it is an important topic. All right, would you pray with me, Lord Jesus? I thank you, God, for your presence. I thank you, Lord, for your spirit that is so evident in this place. I pray, God, that today you would, Lord, make my, my lips the, uh, the pen of a ready writer, and that I would speak, Lord, as an oracle of God, that I would hide behind the shadow of the cross, and, Lord, that as people uh, tune into what you have, they would not see me, but they would see the cross. God, open our ears today. Open our minds. Lord, any, any distractions, human or demonic, that would try to come into this place, we bind them in the name of Jesus. We take authority, and we pray that our hearts would be open to receive, Lord, the pure word, and that it would not just come in and go out, but it would take root within us today. We love you, Jesus. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and, and tell them something nice, and, uh, and then you can be seated. When it comes to God, he has no favorites. He shows no partiality. He doesn't have a favorite child. Any of you in this room have a favorite child? Mom, put your hand down. But God doesn't have a favorite child. He doesn't give out preferential treatment. He has no favorites. Peter would remark about this very simply by saying, God is no respecter of persons. Paul would put it this way. He he said, there's no partiality with God. So when we talk about being a man or woman after God's heart, it's not something that is out of reach for you and for me. This is not some eternal lottery that you either win or lose. This is not determined by your race or your gender or your economic status. There's no bearing on your education or your talent or your abilities because God has no favorites. God may not have favorites, but as we look through scriptures, we clearly see that God does show favor to certain individuals. We see throughout the history, within the pages of scripture, that certain men and women attract the attention of God, and as a result, they receive the favor of God. David, when, 
when considering this, he, he would say in Psalms 5 and verse 12, For you, O Lord, will bless the righteous with favor. You will surround him as with a shield. He, he said those that are, are righteous, they're not your favorite, but you do surround them with favor as a shield. Understand something about God's favor, and it, it needs to be said, and it's not where I'm going, but it's part of the, the journey of where we're getting to. When it comes to God's favor, and you may want to write this down, favor isn't fair. Favor is not about equality. Favor is not about everyone getting a turn on the ride. Favor is not an entitlement. But favor is given to whomever God desires. He doesn't have favorites, but he chooses whom he'll give favor to. And God would speak through the prophet Isaiah, and he would give him insight and revelation into his favor when he said this in Isaiah 66 and 2. He said, these are the ones I look on with favor. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. God, God revealed to Isaiah qualities. He gave him traits within people that attract his attention, that attract his favor. He said, he said I look at people who are humble. They're not about making a name for themselves. They're, they're not about uh, drawing attention to themselves. They're, they're humble and they're contrite in spirit, meaning they, they disdain sin. They, they, they don't want to do things that displease me. He said, those are people I look at and also those who tremble at my word, meaning those who have a reverence for the word of God. Those who take the word of God seriously and literally. Not, not just those who own one. Not just those who have one displayed out on their coffee table. But those who not only own one, but apply it to their lives. Who tremble at the principles and the precepts of the word of God. There's no doubt that David was one of those people. David loved the word of God. He, he spoke of it often. And nowhere is this clearer than Psalms 119, which is believed to be the accumulation of his life that he would pass on to his son. And David would say this, through, scattered throughout Psalms 119. In verse 11, he said, Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. He, he said, I hide it in my heart so that it helps me abstain from what is wrong. Verse 18, he said, open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. I don't want to just read the word of God every day and just check off the, the box that I, I did my daily bread. But open my eyes that as I read your word, I can see clearly your wondrous law. Verse 97, he said, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. I, I don't just read it. I don't just hide it in my heart, but, but I consider it. I think about it. I marinated it all the day. And then he would say in 105, your word, it's a lamp unto my feet. and It's a light unto my path. You, you see, for David, for David, the word of God directed him. The, the word of God protected him. The word of God corrected him. David loved the word of God so much, 
But, but more than just loving it, he followed it and he obeyed it. And God's expectations for us have not changed. We read this earlier on in the series, but 2 Chronicles 16 and 9 says, The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. I'd like to imagine that on a Sunday morning, God is, God is looking at the, the hearts of people and he's seeing who, who is the one who is obedient to me. Who is the one who has a heart that, that beats like my heart beats? The Lord is still looking for a man and a woman after his own heart. God is searching for someone who will fall in love with his word, who won't just read it, but will meditate on it and memorize it, who will talk about it and teach it, who will study it, who will apply it. You see, so often I hear people perplexed because they feel that God doesn't speak to them. But I... I politely just remind them that he is speaking. A lot of the times we're just not willing to listen. Because if you want to know the heart of God, you'll find it in his word. If you want to hear the voice of God, you'll find it in his word. If you want to know the will of God, you'll find it in his word. If you want to know how to live victoriously in God, you'll find it in his word. Let, let us not become superstitious. Let us not think that we need to get goosebumps on our back and our hair needs to rise up and we need to hear some audible voice because God has not stopped speaking to his church. It's not audible all the time. It's not through impression, but a lot of the time it's through his word. Saul surely didn't understand this. And he didn't follow it either. He treated the word of God as, as optional. He, he treated the dictates and the mandates of God as, as mere suggestions. God told Saul to go and to completely destroy the Amalekites. He, he said, you're to, do, you're, you're to annihilate them. There's not to be one left over. And, and then you're not to take any of the loot or, or any of the, the plunder for yourself. You're, you're to destroy everything. Every, every sheep, every goat, all the gold, all the silver, all the people, all the women. I, I know it's gruesome. It's what God commanded his people to do. And Saul partially listened. Technically, he destroyed and defeated the Amalekites. But decided to leave some of their leadership. He left some of the people took the spoils of war for themselves. And I, I've said it before, but it bears repeating. Partial obedience is complete disobedience in God's eyes. And Saul's approached by the man of God. What are, you, what are those sheep I hear bleeding? And Saul makes an excuse. But the people took of the plunder, he said, the sheep and the oxen, the, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. He, he didn't forget the instructions of God. It, it didn't slip his mind. He, he remembered it. But he blamed it on the people. And then he justified their actions. It, it was the people that did it, but, but our motives were pure. We wanted to do it to give it back to God. We were going to sacrifice, but, but, but it wasn't, we 
weren't going to take the gold. We weren't going to take the sheep. It wasn't for ourselves. Yeah, I know this wasn't what God wanted, but we surely had a better option. Surely God is just modest. He wasn't wanting us to do something for him. He was wanting to do something for us, but we wanted to help him. There are many people today that approach the word of God and the mandates of God that way. Surely God in the 21st century is, 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 is blinded by what's taking place. He, he's obviously not, uh, he doesn't have subscriptions to the news and he doesn't read the newspaper. And, and so surely if God would look down on us today and look at his law, he would say there should be a new New Testament because, because there's some things I'd like to amend and, and we need to have a business meeting with the church and we're going to look at the Bible bylaws and I'm going to uh, amend some things. No. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change, and his word does not change. Samuel doesn't miss a beat. He looks at Saul, and he says, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. Samuel said, God would rather have you be obedient than sacrifice. God would have, rather have you listen to him than, than to, to be faithful in a ministry for him. God would rather you listen to his voice than leave him an offering and, and make a pledge to world missions. Samuel said it's better to obey than to sacrifice. I started thinking about this, and, and I, I thought, well, it's good to sacrifice, right? I, I mean, we're talking about it today, so obviously it must be good, because I wouldn't bring it if it wasn't, right, Sister Kura? I mean, it's good to sacrifice, and there's no doubt about that. But it's better to be obedient. So it's good to sacrifice. It's, it's better to be obedient Good, better, best. It's best if we can be obedient and sacrifice. Sometimes we look at that and we think, well, well I'd rather be obedient, pastor, than sacrifice. And, and so I'm going to follow the letter of the law on this one here. And so I'm not going to give of my time or my talent of, or my treasure because I'd rather just focus on being obedient. And that's better than being disobedient and sacrificing. But I would submit to you it's best if you would fall in alignment and not only be obedient, but sacrificed. Amen. You see, David understood that there was a correlation or a connection between obedience and sacrifice. That, that, that and doing one would naturally produce the other. Right. Well, we see this by his example. David sinned with Bathsheba and he, he pens this beautiful prayer of repentance to, to God. He gets near the end of it and he says to God, you do not desire a sacrifice or I would offer one. David wasn't, he wasn't naive. He understood the law of God. He said, you do not desire a sacrifice or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. Because he knew that, that just a sacrifice, it was good, but it was not better. It's better to be obedient. And it was his disobedience that got him here in the first place. But then he, he says, but I get it. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. 
You will not reject a broken and repentant heart. He said, so, so I understand that my sacrifice here is my brokenness. It's not just offering an animal. It's not just going to the temple and getting my sins expunged. It's getting back in right alignment with you. And so my sacrifice today, eventually I will have to sacrifice for my sins. But my sacrifice right now is a broken spirit, is getting to the place where I'm so broken for my sin that I can't look at myself because I realize that I've messed up and I've missed the mark. David would earlier say in Psalms 4 and 5, offer the sacrifice of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. David understood to do one is to do the other. If, if I'm obedient, I will naturally sacrifice. And so he said the sacrifices of righteousness, right standing, being in right alignment with you. When I'm in right alignment with you, then the sacrifice will naturally come into alignment. Near the end of David's life, he had a, a momentary lapse in judgment. He gave in to the temptation of the enemy. Chronicle says that Satan came and tempted him. And David gives in to the temptation. He disregards the wisdom of the elders that would, would, would encourage him to pump the brakes. And he, they say, don't, David, you don't need to do this. And David decides that he wants to number the people. He, he wants... He essentially wants to, to, to ensure he understands what he's working with. And up until this point, it's not been of concern because God's been the one who's been working for them. And so it's, it's, not, been, it's not been of any interest to him how many soldiers he has and how many weapons he has because the Lord is fighting for them. And when they go out to battle, it doesn't matter if they're outmatched, outgunned, or, or outmanned. God's with him. But David, as he gets older, maybe he's feeling a little insecure and says, I just want to make sure that I know what's going on in my kingdom, and so I want to number everybody. God never instructed him to do this. God was not happy with David. David realizes almost immediately that he has done something that grieves the heart of God. And David, it says in 2 Samuel 24 and verse 10, it says that his heart condemned him and after he had numbered the people, so David said to the Lord, I've sinned greatly in what I have done. For now I pray, O Lord, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. And, and, and God heard David's prayer, but there was still a punishment. We reap what we sow. Sometimes we make mistakes and we mess up and we do things. And we think if I just get to the altar everything will be back in alignment. You're partially right. You're partially right. God will forgive you of your sins, but the words you said to that individual, you still have to deal with that. Amen. If you broke the law, you still have to deal with that. If you, if you messed up in your marriage, you still have to go home and deal with that. You can't just say it's, it's under the blood, so you can't touch it. And so the Lord says, I'm going to let you pick the punishment, David. What do you want? Seven years of famine, three months of fleeing from your enemies, or three days of plagues? And to which I would say, is there a, a none of the above? Or is, I see how you're going on a descending scale, three months, three days, is there a three hour, or maybe even a three minute option, or a three second? I'd like the three second option, God. I'm just going to wait until you give those other three options. And David's maturity and depth of his relationship with God shows in his response. 
And David responds this way in verse 14 of 2 Samuel 24. He says, I'm in great distress. Please let us fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are great. But do not let me fall into the hand of man. He, he said, God, you're just. Your judgments are pure. You're, you're not vindictive like man. You don't try to get even. And so I would just rather be in your hands and you pick the punishment you see as best for me. And God allowed three days of plagues to fall upon Israel. And as a result, 70,000 people die. Consider that with me. One man's mistake impacted a country. It's a dark day for Israel. It's a day of mourning. It's a day where, where mothers and, and, and fathers are, are, are mourning the loss of their children and children are mourning, mourning the loss of their parents. It's a dark day. It's a, it's a bad day. And at the end of the day, Gad, the prophet, comes to David and he gives him this instruction in verse number 18. He says, go up, erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arunah the Jebusite. And so scripture said, David, according to the word of God, Gad, went up as the Lord commanded. And we notice something that, that I think we can parallel with our life. Something I think may be worth writing down. Maybe something so, so simple that you already know this, but, but, but write it down nonetheless. And it's this. There is a call to sacrifice. There is a call to sacrifice. Nathan the prophet, acting as the oracle of God, instructs David to go to the place where the plague ended. The, the, the place that, that represented David's acting in his own flesh. The, 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 the place that represented his, his human frailty and his failure. And he said, and that's the place you're called to go and sacrifice. There was a call to sacrifice. Within the pages of scripture, there, this is a common theme. It's a common call a call to sacrifice. It, if you look throughout scriptures, you'll, you'll notice it, it looks different. It, it sounds different. It comes at different times and it comes within different seasons. But, but every man and woman of God who did something for the kingdom of God received this call, a call to sacrifice, a call to let go, a call to forsake, a call to die to self, a call to sacrifice. It's not just isolated to David. David is not just the only example we see within Scripture, but as a matter of fact, every man and woman of God has this call. It, it was the case for Noah. Noah received the call to sacrifice his reputation and future to construct an ark. Well, that makes sense because there was flood coming. Noah didn't know that. Noah invested 120 years of his life, 120 years of ridicule and scorn and mockery and probably family dinners where his sons looked at him and said, Dad, are you sure you heard from God? And Noah sacrificed his feelings, his desires, his plans for what God wanted. Abraham received the call to sacrifice his comfort to pursue an obscure promise from the Lord. Uh, Abraham is at, at a ripe old age. He's considering retirement. He, he just met with his financial advisor who said, man, you're ready to go, Abe. You, you, have, you have a nice nest egg. You don't need to do anything else. And God says, okay, leave everything. And I have this obscure promise for you. I'm not going to tell you where you're going, uh, but, but you're, you're, you're going to be like, the, when you look up at the stars, that's how your seed's going to be. When you look down at the sand, that's how your seed's going to be. It's going to be innumerable. But, but you're just going to have to trust me. 
And then when he sacrifices and goes out to that place and years pass and he gets to this place where he thinks, surely the Lord's forgotten me because I'm old and my wife is old and we're not going to have any children. And he tries to put things in his own hands. They, they tried to answer the, 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 the problem. Maybe God's forgotten. Maybe God is just busy with other people. So we'll try to figure this out for him. And they create a problem that's still taking place in the Middle East today. But eventually the, the promised son comes and the Lord says, there's another call. That promise, I want you to give it back to me. Go sacrifice your son. Multiple times Abraham receives the call. Moses, who sacrificed his lavish life in Pharaoh's court to help the oppressed Israelites. How about Elisha, who, who received the call to sacrifice his career to follow the prophet Elijah? Or the widow of Zarephath, who had nothing. She was going to make her last meal and die. And the prophet said, that meal, make it for me instead. She sacrificed her and her son's future. Mary, who sacrificed her reputation and life plans to be in the perfect will of God. Behind every great man, behind every great woman of God is a trail of blood on altars with things sacrificed to pursue the will of God. Behind every person you admire in the kingdom of God, behind every man of God who stands behind a pulpit, behind everyone who does something for the kingdom of God, if you look in the distant past, if you look even in, in the next last couple of days, you'll see blood because of the sacrifices that were made. The things that they wanted to say yes to, but they said no to. The things that they wanted to do, but they put on hold. The things they wanted to buy, but they gave away instead. Each answered the call to sacrifice. Each was willing to give something. Many would give up everything to pursue God's will. And Jesus would extend this call to his followers when he said, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. I picked up the cross 20 years ago when I got the Holy Ghost. But did you do it today? If you want to do something for me, if you want to make a difference in the kingdom of God, if you want to be a follower of Jesus, you must deny yourself. You must take up your cross and then you can follow him. It's a daily call to sacrifice. You see, before you see outcomes, but before you step into promotion, before you see the fulfillment of your dreams and the promises, before you begin to have open doors and spiritual gifts unlocked in your life, before any of that stuff happens, there is going to be a call that you're going to have to answer. And it's a call to sacrifice. And David answers the call and travels to the threshing floor of Aruna, understanding that he has a divine assignment. David comes to the threshing floor and Aruna comes out the Jebusite, not even an Israelite. He, he doesn't have any reason to even care what's taking place to these individuals. And David begins to, to muddle through, I'm sure, what's taking place. He, here's where I'm at. I, I need to make a sacrifice. And much to David's surprise, Aruna is more than accommodating. There's been times in the past where, 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 where maybe foreign individuals tried to get, uh, tried to get an upper edge on the, the people of God, but Aruna is not that man. Aruna offers David a Black Friday special. Everything for free. You want the land? Yours. You want the sacrifice? Yours. You need the wood? Yours. Whatever you need to do this thing, it's yours. Kind of sounds like a good deal. T take what you need. It's free. I mean, I like deals. I'm not cheap. I'm frugal. There's a difference. 
It sounds almost like the favor of God, doesn't it? But David replies, no. What do you mean, David? He's giving it away for you. He's giving it to you. You don't have to do any. You can do what the prophet asked you to do. The prophet did, didn't ask you to, to purchase it. He just asked you to make it. And David says, no, I, I insist on buying it. For I will not present burnt offerings to the Lord my God that have cost me nothing. David understood that there wasn't just a call to sacrifice, but the second thing you might want to write down, there's a cost to sacrifice. It's not just a call you have to answer. It's a cost you have to pay. And this is where our Western mindsets have a hard time wrapping rationality around this. We've come to like free. We like the idea of getting more than we gave. We, we call that a deal or a bargain. I have coupons. I have, I have emails with, with, a, with a discount code that I can enter in. We like the idea of cutting corners and finding loopholes. We, we call that efficiency, just being efficient. I can't tell you how many times throughout living for God that I've heard statements like this. I'll live for God as long as I don't have to do that. I'll, I'll commit to God as long as I don't have to give up that. I'll, I'll follow him as long as I don't have to go there or dress that way or act that way or say this or do this. And sadly, if we're not careful, we remove the cost and instead we add conditions to sacrifice. I'll serve you if. That sounds like a good deal, God. You need more people in your kingdom. I'm just telling you that these are my terms. These are my agreements. I I'm going to serve you, but, but they're on my terms. I I'm going to serve you, but it's with my conditions. I I'm going to sacrifice as long as I still get to call the shots. I I'll sacrifice as long as I'm still holding the cards and in control. But, but but that's not sacrifice because there's a cost to sacrifice. There's, there, there are no conditions when it comes to sacrifice. And sadly, this is where too many get off the train. They become like the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler, he said, I know it's better to obey. And he said, I want to follow you, Jesus. And he said, okay, what is the law? And he, he gives them all the laws. And he says, I have done all of these from my childhood. I've been obedient. I know that's better. And the Lord said, well, this is what's best. You have a lot of stuff. Go sell it all. Let's see how obedient you really will be. Well, I just want the better faith. I don't know if I'm ready to upgrade to the best faith. And it says the rich young ruler walks away with his head down, filled with sorrow, because he had a lot of stuff. There's a cost involved with sacrifice. And you need to know two things about this cost. The first thing is it's a cost only you can pay. Sacrifice is an individual response. It's not a group effort. It's not a team project or a communal commitment. But it's a decision only you can make. I can't pay the cost for you. Your parents can't pay the cost for you. Your children cannot pay the cost for you. Nobody can do it except you. I, I was uh, 
Woke up early, and my wife and I had her prayer time last Monday. She was in the living room. I was in my place, and after I got dressed and ready, I, I came out, and we sat, and it was like 7-ish, 7.30, and we sat and just talked. 8 o'clock happened, Sister Curra, and all of a sudden, I started to get phone call after phone call after phone call after phone call. I, when I tell you I had probably 40 phone calls before 10 o'clock, I am not lying. And, and at first, I was confused as I would pick up the phone, and there would be a slight delay, and someone would say, uh, yes, Ronnie? And I said, no. And I would hang up the phone and look at my wife with puzzled eyes and bewilderment, and she's like, what? I don't know. Ronnie? Someone's Ronnie. I guess that's my new name. And so I was, I was confused at first, and then I got amused, right? Because that's just the person I am. And so, so I, you know, one time I said, no, this is not Ronnie. This is Johnny, his brother. Ronnie always gets all the preferential treatment. I'm not going to take your insurance because you always call Ronnie and not Johnny. And then, and then one time I called and I, I said, no, this is, this is uh, I forget what the name was. I live out in the country and I, my health care is when I got a bad tooth, I just pull it out. And the person was like, uh, okay, I don't need no insurance. My insurance is, is my rifle. My daughter was taking videos of me and I was, delete that. And, and I embodied many personalities because I was amused. And, and then once it got to about 70, 80 calls, I, 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 was, I started refusing the calls. I was getting a little upset. I was like, I am not Ronnie. Stop calling me. And, and it was the next day. Brother Ryan, I, I, I picked up the phone, and I work a, a full-time job where, where people call me, and I don't oftentimes understand the number, and so you understand my, my, my issue. I still have to answer the phone. And this guy calls, and I said, dude, come on. He said, what? I said, you have been like the 120th per. I've got over 40 text messages. I am not Ronnie. And he said, ah, this happens to a lot of people. And I said, what? He said, individuals want the benefit of a quote, without the cost of the sales calls. And so Ronnie Cole, someplace, filled out a quote. He put his name, he put his email address, and he just made up a phone number. And sadly, that phone number was yours. I said, what do I do? You can get a new phone number if you want. So that's a bad idea. He said, or you could just answer the phone and tell them you have cancer. I said, that's a worse idea. And I started thinking as I was preparing this message. Many times we want the benefits without having to pay the cost. We want the perks and the privileges of sacrifice without the price of sacrifice. I want what comes with a life of sacrifice, but I don't want to have to do what it takes to get the outcomes that should come my way if I say. I want the favor of God, but I don't want to have to tremble at his requests and his desires. Paul would say it this way. He would say, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Yeah, yes, point one, it's a cost only you can pay. But here's the addition to that point, because the cost is your life. Well, that doesn't sound good. That's, that's what sacrifice is. Paul said, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Here's the problem 
with a living sacrifice. It's alive. It has its own will. It's, it's something that can choose to leave at any time. And sadly, some of us look at sacrifice and we look at the altar and we say, okay, I'm, I'm going to present, maybe not my body, but I got some money here, all right? I'll present my spending money. How about that? And God said, no, no, I, I, want, I want your body. Well, I'll give you my hands, God. I'll give you my hands. What's in my hands, you can have. And God says, no, no, present your bodies. Uh, I'll, give you, I'll give you my mind, God. I'm going to present my head a living sacrifice unto you. And God says, no, 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 that, that, that won't do. Uh, okay, if this is what you want, I'll present my body a living sacrifice for Sunday. And when Sunday is completed, I got things to do. And so I'll call off the altar and get back to life. And this is how many of us have treated the altar. We've put our conditions on it. I'll give you my heart today, but I want it back tomorrow. I'll give you my mind today, but, but I, I'm going to need to start thinking for myself next week because I got some big things going on. I'll give you my, my talents today, but, but my job really is getting, it's getting busier, and they're needing my talents more, and so I'm going to have to scoop this off the altar, and I'm going to have to go and sacrifice it on their altar. And God says, no, every day you got to crawl back on the altar. Because here's the thing about sacrifices that are alive. They can get up at any time. And David, when he would think about this, he would say, I freely sacrifice. That's, that is the response that God is looking for today. Not, not some Western democratic mindset that says, I get a vote in this. I get my voice in it. He, you know, he says, no, no, you don't get your voice. You don't get a vote in this. When you present yourself a living sacrifice, I get the vote. I get the voice. I'm the one who created you fearfully and wonderfully made you in my image and likeness. All I need you to do is crawl on the altar, and when you get there, I'll let you know what I need from you. Paul said, present your bodies a living sacrifice. How? Holy and acceptable unto God. And he said, listen, this isn't even a big deal. This is your reasonable service. This is, this is the bare minimum commitment. This isn't the platinum level of living for God. This is the basic level of what Jesus came to do. He said, if you want to follow me, here's the requirements. Before you even become a member of the Jesus Society, deny yourself, pick up your cross, and then you can come. And many people say, I like the idea. I like the club. I like what, what, what's going on in his life. What's the light version of that? There's no light version of sacrifice. There, there's no halfway version of sacrifice. That there's, only, there's, there's not just a, a little bit of sacrifice, but, but when we approach the throne, everything must be presented on the altar. Why don't you stand with me? If anyone desires to come after me, 
Let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily. and Follow me. I wonder if the disciples truly understood the complexity of that statement. It probably sounded maybe a little exaggerated. Maybe even a little crude. The cross... The cross was an instrument of suffering. The cross was a picture of a death that criminals would suffer. And I wonder if they talked amongst themselves on the fireplace and said, what what is he asking us to do? What, What is picking up a cross look like? We know what the cross looks like. But I have to imagine it all made sense on that day. Jesus, bloodied and beaten from the stripes he took upon his back, was forced to carry a cross. There he was in agony and in pain, dehydrated, humiliated, with every bit of strength he could muster up picked up the weight of that cross and made the trek to Golgotha where he knew what awaited him. Once he got there, they affixed him to that cross. They, They drove spikes through his hands and through his feet. I have to imagine at that point it made sense. At that point, I'm sure they got the picture of what he was asking. Daily, the disciples would follow in his footsteps. They they sacrificed everything to follow him. They, They left away their family and their business and their livelihood to follow him. But the sacrifice wasn't a one time commitment, but rather they were invited to daily pick up a cross and follow Jesus. History tells us that the sacrifice would follow them to their death. Peter would be crucified upside down in Rome at his own request because he didn't feel worthy to be crucified the same way his master was. And so he said, if this is my plight, turn it upside down. Andrew, Philip, Simon the Greater were all believed to have been crucified as well. Bartholomew was, was said to have been flayed, the flesh taken off his body. And then crucified. James and Matthew were believed to have been beheaded. Thomas and James and Thaddeus were speared, stoned, and beaten to death. And each one of them, I have to imagine, would look at this as their reasonable service. Matthew would record the same thing that Luke did. But he would say it a little bit differently. He would record Jesus' words as saying this, and he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. He who loses his life for my sake will find it. Today there's, there's a call to this congregation. A call not to be just casual in your relationship with God. A call not to just be conditional in your sacrifice, but a call to answer the 
the call and sacrifice everything. It's a cost. Yeah, I know you want to find yourself. Yeah, I know you want to find yourself in your future plans. You want to find yourself in your career. You want to find yourself in what the world says finding ourself is. But, but Jesus said, if you want to find yourself, you first got to lose yourself. And the place in which you lose yourself is on an altar. Because on an altar, you have no rights. On an altar, you call no shots. On an altar, it's not about you. On an altar, it's not your way. On an altar, it's not your future. On an altar, it's not your money. On an altar, it's not your talent. On an altar, it's not your house. On an altar, they're not your children. On an altar, it all belongs to him. So today, the call is going out to you. How would you answer this call? I open up these altars today and pray that you would step forward and re-answer the call to sacrifice. What are you, what are you saying, Pastor? I, I'm just saying answer the call. When you answer the call, he'll tell you what it means. Lord, I pray you would touch every person under the sound of my voice. God, it's a call that is going out. It's clear. It's loud. It's direct. It's a call to present our bodies a living sacrifice unto you, holy and acceptable. God, I pray you'd help us to, to understand the gravity, the weight of those words. Help us to understand what that truly looks like. God, our outcomes, our future, tomorrow, all of that stuff is in your hands when we're on the altar. God, our worries, our struggles, our pain, our illness, it's all in your hands when we are on the altar. So God, I pray, help us, Lord, to climb on that altar, not just today, but tomorrow. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Every day, let it be, God, a, a willing, God, vessel. Let it be our reasonable service. Let it, let it be our reasonable worship to you. That not just in word, God, not just in, in what we say, but Lord, in what we do, that we would present ourselves a living sacrifice unto you. Would you help us today, God? strengthen us today give us the courage to make that hard decision 